Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Just a reminder that our brand new podcast, Brain Yapping, hosted by Dean Burnett and Rachel England, starts next week on Monday. The first two episodes will be out. Of course, if you are a Patreon supporter, you will have already heard the first episode. Uh, We released that exclusively for Patreon supporters a week early. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter and get perks like that, as well as lots of other perks, and uh, walk around in the knowledge that your contribution, your pledge, is what helps keep Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network running, you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles or go to cosmicshambles.com and you'll find all the links on there. Also should mention uh, there's a new episode of the Science Shambles podcast gone out this week. Robin chatting to Dr Susie Gage and Dean Burnett about medical marijuana and uh, masturbating in an MRI, amongst other things. So check that out if that's not completely put you off. As usual, a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters. None of this uh, is possible without your support. Now, on this week's episode, we recorded this just before Christmas. Uh, Michael Legg was subbing in for Josie Long on this episode and... We spoke with Helen Zaltzman, creator and host of many things, including the Illusionist podcast about language. I imagine there is quite a bit of crossover audience between Book Shambles and The Illusionist. So we hope you enjoy this episode with Robin, Michael and Helen. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. And today, the part of Josie Long will be played by Michael Legg. All right. Beautiful, you sound exactly like you've yeah, done. That's what I you've thought. spent weeks working on her voice. Yeah, haven't you? I have. How's oh, I've going? got a lovely baby. There you go. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, today's episode is sponsored by my new book, I'm a Joke and So Are You, which is available in the shops. Um, and we're also joined by Helen Zaltzman. Hello. Who I remember first as uh, my favourite xylophone player. Thank you so much. I don't deserve that accolade. And also it was a glockenspiel. I don't. I know that people are very precise about these things. I made that mistake as well for years. Glockenspiel is the metal one and xylophone is the wooden one. Why is... Oh, right. Yeah. So, oh, you see, I never looked behind me. So I no, can hear you? the sound. And what would I notice in terms of the different resonance of uh, glockenspiel to a xylophone? Well, I don't have a xylophone. I think a xylophone is a slightly warmer sound. The good thing about the glockenspiel is I was not a professional player, Robin. I breaking to you now and uh, virtually all the notes sound the same as each other so you can kind of get away with it i've heard there's a lot of glockenspiel players who they you think they're professional but then you find out they haven't got certificates or anything not even pro-am no you were brilliant anyway it was <laughs> when we used to do the show uh the book club and we did latitude festival and various other things had a good time uh, yeah and since then you've now become uh one of the world's favorite podcasters yeah that's official yes well you one did of you, the well i love that you know the 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 the, the, the first podcast that you did which was huge it was answer me this which, which still was, alive after nearly 12 years it's st- what i love still about alive. that is that it reminds me of the speed of change uh when i think of things like aqa uh, yes. And not that long ago, it's like, ah, I've got a question. Um, you know what you can do? You can text your phone. And you know who was answering <laughs> those questions was Josie Long 
on a laptop using my Wi-Fi in 2005, and I think she got 25p per question and 50p on peak times like Saturday nights, and most of those questions was just drunk people going, where am I? It was there, it's brilliant. It's it's a beautiful thing. The uh, it's a bit like I remember. I don't know if you did it that year, uh, Michael. When uh, MySpace had the MySpace gig bus in oh, Edinburgh, I did and do we it. got MySpace t-shirts <laughs> and MySpace key rings, yeah. and uh, all of them almost by the time we'd uh, travelled uh, over the bridge at Berwick upon Tweed mm-hmm. had uh, become <laughs> they 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 were archaic. Both I think archaic I was and arcane. there every day of that festival. Interviewing comedians who didn't want to be interviewed. Yeah. Like, like right now, Robin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. And so now you do The Illusionist Show, which is uh, going to be touring well across the world, but you're doing a huge American tour. Yes. Um, in October. October, November, and a couple of Canadian dates as well. Basically, North America apart from Mexico. So your start, I mean, again, another of my early memories of you is sitting in, uh, oh, I forget the name of the cafe now, it was uh, um, a, a, a cafe in Edinburgh, uh, it was, it was a small chain which doesn't run anymore, mm-hmm. um, and you would have Scrabble competitions. Boggle. Again, important. Scrabble oh, invented by a mathematician. Scrabble, though. It's not a fun Did game. Did you never do Scrabble? I'm not a Scrabble fan, and it's partly because I don't want to memorise all of the two-letter words in the English language. I feel like that's bad play. Um, was it Favourite? We used to have it Favourite. That was it, that yeah. gone? I think Favourite's gone now, yeah. What I love is I, I've actually illustrated exactly why uh, witness... Uh, evidence is and eyewitness evidence is a waste of time because what I've said is that you used to play a xylophone and do Scrabble competitions and it turns out no but what happens is um, they've hanged uh, that person who Uh. uh, played Scrabble and uh, also uh, was uh, played the um, xylophone when it really the murderer was someone with a glockenspiel who played Boggle yeah but it depends who the Defence counsel is, because if it's like my cousin Vinny, they would have been able to uh, rip apart your testimony and it would have been fine. Yeah, that's true. But not witness for the prosecution oh, if yeah. I'd also pretended to be Marlena Dietrich as an old lady. I would love to see that. Well, I think was I everywhere, wasn't it, for, uh, on the comedy circuit? It was, was it? Everywhere. Huh. After gigs, people were playing boggle. During gigs, people were playing boggle. The audience were playing boggle to distract yep. themselves from the tedium and I then they passed the I don't remember to going to a single book club where there wasn't a boggle somewhere. And yeah. then just like... In fact... That's what happened to the glockenspiel as well, isn't it? Glockenspiel, that was a very big part of your life for a while. And then it just wasn't there it anymore. It just flames out really quickly, like it's, MySpace. It's like, I, I, was, I, don't, I don't think I've looked at a glockenspiel since I was seven. But before that, well, all about major it. part of my life. Yeah, but now the ukulele's taken over from the glockenspiel, hasn't it? Well, I, I, I don't even know if I've gone near that. No. Nah. Yeah. So your love of words uh, is... Um, yeah, they're nice. But where does that... Where, do you remember uh, growing up there was that, that fascinating... Is there something... I, I, I presume, knowing some of you, the rest of your family, that there <laughs> may be a familial trait in terms of uh, the love of words. We will not be able to work out whether mm. it's nature or nurture because science is pretty lost on that at the moment. Yes, I think there are a couple of factors. One is that I was a mistake baby born um, <laughs> uh, after my parents thought they'd shut up shop. So... Um, Really, Me too. Michael. Me too. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. So, and to you. Um, and to, how did it make you feel? Really good. My my mum uh, is, is. She says there's no way that I I was planned. I was no way an accident. But my dad's absolutely good. no. Right. It may have been planned by your mother. Never oh. a word said to me about it. Interesting. So yeah. it was half planned. See, I was so, I was uh, unplanned by both. I was a failure of contraception, right. and um, so there was. Uh, 
five-year gap between me and my brother and a seven-year gap between me and my eldest brother. And they were very funny. And um, they would be telling my parents anecdotes that were happened in their day. And I would think, I've got no material at all. So it's very much an atmosphere in the house that you shut up unless you can uh, bring something decent. And um, then also I went to a very old-fashioned school where I was taught Latin from birth. And uh, we never talked about how the English language works, but I was like, oh, maybe this is connected in this. And then I had one of those walls full of uh, string connecting things, but only in my imagination. See, I see. Have you ever? I, I know books. You like words. And sometimes you don't like them all put together in a book. Really depends uh, on the words, doesn't it? Uh, but Myla Goldberg's uh, Bee Season. Have you ever read that? No. It is a Bee fascinating. It, it's a really. It's one of my favourite books, uh, and it's a novel about. It was turned into a film where you know the moment you see the casting, you go, "No, Richard Gere is not what the father looks like." You know the the bit where he rears. I, I think in the film it's it's Richard Gere and Juliette Binoche, and I never watched it because it may be a very good film, but the book it was so much against my casting in my head. Oh, who's but, in it in your casting? Uh, um, uh, do you know what? Someone like Mandy Platinkin could well Ooh. have been the, the, the dad in it. Um, and uh, the mother, oh, that would be hard. Uh, I think, um, what's she called? A wonderful actor who was in Cutthroat Island. Gina and Davis. The, yeah, Gina Davis. I think Gina Davis would have been a... Um, but it's basically about uh, a family of uh, high-achieving intellectuals and the daughter, though, is pretty average. And so the dad really is kind of, you know, the, the, the son he just thinks is amazing. And then the daughter, it turns out, has this kind of innate ability with spelling. And so the, the spelling bee, that's the bee season, the spelling bee starts and suddenly it just seems she can just... And then the dad starts to remove his affections, his intellectual affections from the son and move towards uh, the daughter instead and they become fascinated with the pattern of spelling and then they start to get involved in kind of mythic ideas uh, of spelling in things like the Kabbalah and the Torah and then it turns... And basically about each individual person is trying to find some kind of meaning in life and it turns out the mother, who again is very high achiever but actually is someone who's been hoarding strange uh, shapes and is trying to find the pattern which kind of has uh, some deification about it and it's just, it's one of those it's probably one of my favorite thrillers about um spelling and that's a long list but i love that it's like when i spellbound you must have seen spellbound i have seen spellbound it made me a little sad i just thought all of that empty knowledge really because they're just taught to regurgitate these words correctly without really using them Oh, but there's some beauty in it as well, isn't there? Because you've got things like the uh, uh, the guy who, uh, he can't speak English at all. He was someone who came across the border and uh, it's so he, he's Spanish-speaking and um, his daughter, is just, again, she just has this ability and it's like the pride that he has in the sense that he crossed the border and he's achieved something in, in, in his life and now his daughter he sees as becoming part of that society. You're right, on the sad side of it, you find out that later on some of the people who were in it, uh, there's one guy who who killed himself you know and you do realize that there are yeah but it's but i still find it a fascinating thing to watch not the not the ones who are constantly taught like there is one kid isn't there who's basically hot housed to be the best <laughs> speller ever and that kind of does become joyless yeah i think um i think my parents they would have hot housed me some but not for public displays of spelling because that would have uh, <laughs> led to uh, arrogance and self-worth so, Robin, uh, I mean, like, this is just playing on my mind. Your go-to Gina Davis film is Cutthroat Island. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it should it's be. Not, no, it's not the, Dan the, and the, Louise. The, the, the it's real, not the fly. It's no, Cutthroat no, Island. No, I've never actually seen Cutthroat Island, though. Oh, whereas geez. I've seen but the fly, still, I've seen the fly <laughs> over 30 times. The yeah. fly is one of my favourite films. But for some reason, I think because Cutthroat Island was seen as such a kind of incredible disaster, uh, that stuck in there in the same way. You know, admittedly, actually, my go to John Hurt movie isn't Heaven's Gate. Right. But it would, I suppose, <laughs> it's a similar kind of pattern to that, isn't it? So, in, Is it because is it that was really a vehicle for Gina Davis? Yeah, I think that's it. And it, was was she married to Rennie Harlan at the time? Yeah. Was there, there some kind of uh, yeah. background thing there? Didn't didn't last. And she's yeah. now doing fascinating work. Do you know about the stuff she's about? She's got her own institute, hasn't she? Yeah. It's a. It's not even for pirate related stuff. It's neither pirate nor gene splicing to contain superflies. And and no, there's nothing Which like is that. A shame. Well, I'd like that. I reckon if she's got the money, eventually they'll branch out, like a lot mm. of specialist universities and stuff. They start mm. off and then they're able to have... But, it's yeah, she she deals with um, looking at kind of innate sexism within... Uh, uh, like, I think she did the, the, some research into an, an image in a film uh, that if there are... I think it's 20% of the people in the scene are women, then uh, men judge that at least half the people in that scene are women. Mm. And uh, if, if it's 50-50, they go, well, it's just all women in this. You know, just little kind of... And uh, it's quite an yeah. intriguing thing about... I, 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 the, the psychology of my, both my parents genuinely use this this phrase with me all the time. How come everyone on TV is gay? Everyone, <laughs> everyone on TV is gay. Absolutely everyone. Maybe they know things that no one else does. Maybe. Well, maybe that's true. I don't think they do. What programs are they watching? I mean, like the news. How yeah. come everyone on the news is gay? I don't, everything. I mean, they just watch crap TV, but they're absolutely adamantly convinced. And then I presume the argument will be, when you say, like who, they'll yeah. go, well, you know, Graham Norton, you say, who else? Oh, oh Michael, don't be silly, yeah. you know. <laughs> Trevor not... McDonald. Yeah. Well, he's not. Well, we yeah. don't, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Haven't asked, didn't seem relevant. No. Yeah. You're, so when you were growing up, what were the books that were uh, around your head? What were the... Because mm. the, especially if you're the youngest... Yeah. Like I remember having two older sisters, I, I was obsessed with some of their... They had a couple of... Only a couple of girls' annuals, because both of them were, were kind of, you know, quite... Uh, as, would have been then tomboy stuff, but they had they had a couple of girls animals that I loved because they had a couple of those creepy horror story Ooh. cartoons that are set in a girls' school where there's a strange rattly ghost, and there were a lot of flower fairies books and things like that. Strong, yeah. Yeah. So I I had a lot of so I presume you were also you had books that had gone down the family line. Yes, all of my brother's uh, wisdoms, <laughs> uh, and um, actually I used to read a lot of his vizzes. Uh, so that was, I think, a pretty good grounding. Uh, I oh, realised uh, not technically books. Um, and then there were a lot of books in the house. I remember my dad had um, a big collection of um, books for his various like spiritual and health fads. So that was interesting, uh, like a lot of uh, tantric sex books um, and um, weird exclusion diet books and stuff like that. And also some Scientology manuals from his blue, from his uh, year-long flirtation with that. And I found one... Um, quite recently in the spare room even though they've cleared out a lot of their books a Scientology child raising manual is still there and I started reading it because I didn't I was just like this has got a strange cover image so I started having a look didn't realise it was Scientological initially it seems quite sensible and that's how they get you and it's basically teaching your children to sort of um, sublimate their problems by sitting opposite each other in silence until they're no longer angry with each other I don't know what happens if you have a solo child Presumably, they just sit in a mirror until they're no longer angry. That is, um, 
Yeah, that's an interesting thing about a lot of the kind of the, the woo books and pseudoscience books. You're right, page one and two. Because they do, if you if you have, if you just summarise them, you go, oh, that sounds perfectly reasonable. But it's the bits in between, which are the majority of it, which are normally extremely unreasonable and preposterous and then ultimately becoming kind of cultish. I mean, so yeah. I, I've got a few Scientology books. Uh, and I think the ones I've got are from L. Ron Hubbard's, well, continuing period of just writing, 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 that's enough for a book. Rip off that, because, you know, mm. he had a whole roll, basically a roll of paper, and he would wow. just write, 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 write through the typewriter, and then when it was enough words for the book, right, just tear that bit there, put that into a book. What that's, an that's approach. Yeah. So and, the end is just dictated by the physical form. Yeah. It's, uh, and you read page one, and you go, oh, yeah, and then you read page two, and you go, oh, no. Yeah, but because you've already agreed with page one, you're more likely to agree with uh, what's on page 40. Yeah. And uh, then it's too late. You've given them your income, your address, and you don't know how to leave. Um, but um, how are the novels that he wrote? Uh, they're, I mean, well, his novels in particular were written at an incredible speed. I mean, he was... Uh, they're not... I, I would say that for the cover and the back blurb, and then leave it. Okay. There's no... You know, if, if you haven't read 10 books by Philip K. Dick, there's certainly no point in you going, oh, I should probably find time to read uh, an L. Ron Hubbard. And in some ways, I have to admit, I don't find them that... I, I mean, they, they, I suppose they do in terms of being just very pulpy books that would have been on some carousel in some drugstore. They're, they're probably absolutely fine. But he's... Uh, and because I think he was living a perpetually... Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know we're talking about Scientology. <laughs> because it appeared he was living a perpetually delusional life... Uh, you can see why he would write these. I, mean, I don't know if you've read Going Clear. I haven't. It's a very good... The, the film is, is very interesting, but, of course, the documentary is a very small part of, of mm. a very long book. And, again, as you were saying a little bit, like that. It, once you've gone, oh, no, that seems fine, if you've just been ensnared enough, then to go, I've wasted my money on this book, immediately becomes, oh, I've been duped. Oh, no, I better argue myself out of being duped. Yeah, mm. I was reading... Um a classic of the 1980s business schools uh, book. I can't remember what it is. It's something like The Psychology of Persuasion, and it is saying you people would generally rather double down on a bad decision that they've made than admit that their past self made a bad decision. And um, I'm seeing that a lot in people's political views these days. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, the, as usual, there's always a Mark Twain quote, isn't there? Uh, and uh, always a Mark Twain quote or a G.K. Chesterton quote, uh, which uh, um, is easier to fool someone than it is to persuade them that they've been fooled. Uh, and that's the thing, isn't it, that you can... It's much better to... Duping is, is simply going, do you know what? I think you might have gone wrong there. Shut up! How dare you? Michael, what's the weirdest uh, religion you've been involved in in the last ten years? Um, it's still Catholicism from, <laughs> from birth. Yeah, it's, it's pretty weird. Do you do you ever? I'm interested. Actually, that is there ever a little grip? Is there a, because there's there's a few is people. There like, a little grip from Catholicism. Oh, sorry. Oh I'm wow. So, oh god. Here you, we go. I mean, no. I mean, of course, it's part of my DNA. Absolutely. It's like the, there are times when I genuinely go, well, you can't do that because I go, oh, hang on, no, nothing's <laughs> going to happen to me, nothing. But you know, and it's really weird how um, I studied at, at secondary school. You had a choice of two languages. Two, that was it. French and Irish. And like an idiot, I went for Irish. Studied Irish for five years. Five years. I remember none of it. 
None of it. And I spoke to someone a little while ago and said, really, you can't remember any Irish at all? No, because it's taught by um, priests and nuns. No, no, I can't remember any of it. But what, not even the prayers? No, one. Oh, my God. That's so how they get you. Do that there. again. That was amazing. Well, that, that's... No, it's, Just it's do basically, it. Namhan Nakar Augustin Fix Birth and Eve. It's... It, Whoa! It, <laughs> it's mad, isn't I've it? I've never seen you do that. I've known you 25, 26 years. <laughs> Just do it for the rest of the podcast. I love it. It's magical. But I, I've never... That's it, because I think because I was brought up in a kind of, you know, Anglican uh, tradition, it doesn't... It's fascinating that it yeah, has... Yeah, yeah. I know some people, Richard Dawkins and others, talk about mm. the kind of majesty in the hold that it still has. But I have, there's no hold whatsoever that I can sense of, you know, something religious inside me, yeah. some sense of possible damnation uh, or possible heavenly pursuit or whatever. But what about you, Helen? Yeah, well, my family is ethnically Jewish, but atheist. And then I went to Church of England schools. So I think even though we were brought up doing some Jewish rituals to appease my grandparents, who uh, threatened to jump out of window to their deaths when my dad said he was marrying a goy... Um, we did those rituals, but I think we were all... Am I allowed to swear on the show? Yeah. Uh, we were all uh, aware that it's kind of bullshit. And um, so I don't feel like I've ever had a spiritual affiliation with anything. And um, But I'm also not... I'm, I'm not uh, an evangelical atheist. Mm. Casual atheist. I think there's a lot more casual atheists now. Yeah. I think nice. that, yeah, I think the last 12 years, um, a lot of people have decided it's better to be casual because they've seen where it can lead uh, yeah. if you embrace it too much or if you believe that the removal of a deity will be a cure-all um, for all the evils of the world. And then you look at human nature and go, do you know what? I think there's a very often something that can fill in for Abraham or Odin if uh, <laughs> he or she or they are and removed. What happened to Odin? It's really lost a lot of ground in the... Uh... Dirty popularity. See, I think I would be... I, I can't remember which book I was reading the other day which was talking about the... Uh, I think it was actually called something like An Atheist Guide to Reality, which which, which was fine, and it, I was just skim reading it. it was a, I'm, I'm trying to work out what books to get rid of at the moment. I've, I've got a 1,000 books Ooh, that I've already sorry. got rid of. Ah. And uh, and what is... Uh, having got rid of a 1,000 books, I look at my house and go, it's made no difference. Anyone walking in, no one will go, oh, Did you that really light think and airy bit. Oh, I just thought there would be a little bit of a difference. And but also, just, when you said... I'm getting rid of a thousand books what in the same week you buy a new shed that's <laughs> right yeah no one's allowed in daddy's shed yeah, yeah. no one can open the door <laughs> the, uh, but yeah so i was going through that and, and that had a bit about when it was when it, when it was arguing about the fact that that monotheism doesn't really exist because many people who are monotheistic also believe in the devil and therefore it's a, but i did think i reckon i'd have had more if there were kind of olympian gods I think I've I'm, I've got more time for the idea of a universe which is not ultimately created by gods, but has them squabbling and screwing things up. That I reckon, if there was a table of gods, you know, like when it was, uh, um, you know, in Clash of the Titans with Laurence sure. Olivier as uh, Zeus and uh, and Claire Bloom, and that's your go-to Laurence Olivier film. Yeah, yeah, Clash of the Titans <laughs> is actually that. I would say uh, I, I agree. Sure. Gina Davis, it's the fly. Laurence Olivier, <laughs> oh, I mean, finest. Role. Laurence did a lot of great movies, but his <laughs> Zeus. I mean, are you going to pick his Othello? I wouldn't if I was you. you. <laughs> that is, um, but fair. yeah, so I, I, I don't know how you just, just that. So, so you'd like a kind of unelected cabinet of deities. That would work. Yeah, I mean, that idea of suddenly going, bloody hell, that's not a swan at all. Get it out of here. Ooh. You know, that kind of thing. I, I think I'd be more into than whatever the image is of just this one individual, all-powerful. Yeah. It, it feels... 
can't can't argue because it's just one person untrammeled by colleagues. Um, but I do wish that we'd been raised in a way that meant we weren't aware of the concept of religion at all. And then later, when we were old enough to absorb it, we were like, okay, this happens. It's been very influential on global culture and it is opt-in. But I feel like from birth, I was aware of it. It wasn't something that we had opted into, but it was still the predominant shape of things. Mm. And the the tantric sex books. Yeah. Now, where was your dad leaving them? Was this an open liberal house or was there another shed for the tantric? uh, Was it it open liberal house, like right next to the, uh, the books about how to make your own carpentry stuff? Um, I think they were well, part... that's a good idea, I suppose. If yeah. you're having tantric sex and you think, what can I take my mind off? Oh, hang on a minute. I've managed to plane that. Uh... You definitely need a book if you think furniture is called carpentry stuff. I think, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. 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 That's why I see mm. it. Yeah, absolutely. Often okay. I say that to my wife. Do you know what? We <laughs> probably need some new carpentry stuff because yeah. we've been sitting on the floor for ages. <laughs> it's been a very valuable experience. Bits. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> I've learned some words. Yeah. Uh, no, they were they were with the rest of his yoga books that he probably bought and then ignored because uh, the buying of the books was the making him better. I mean, he was amazing because he was always a massive hypochondriac and never ill. How do you? I was asked this the other day, but so when you walk into someone else's house and you look at the bookshelves, mm. and I presume you do. Oh, of course. Yeah, they said. That in fact, when when the person interviewed me, they went, "Doesn't everyone?" I said, "I don't think everyone does. I just think everyone that I know would." Mm. It's that kind of, you know, self-defense. So so when you go in, mm. uh, what are the books where you think, oh, I might be able to, uh, yeah, maybe this friendship will, will blossom, and others where you go, yeah, we probably, yeah, this will probably be one of those um, light, predominantly social media-led friendships. <laughs> well, I think now a lot of people, uh, their books are electronic, so you don't get to see the secrets. Um, I was staying in an Airbnb in Japan, a few months ago and um, it was very nice very sleek and quite minimalist and then just by the door there was a Jeremy Clarkson book and the owner was like that's not mine <laughs> um, so I guess that uh, Jeffrey Archer's those sorts of books those big sort of thriller books but generally it's just interesting isn't it where someone unexpected has a big appetite for like trash romance or um, at the moment I'm staying with a friend and they have a lot of books by Tory Spelling you see, I don't know anything about the Tory spelling genre. So this is really? quite a new... So she was in Beverly Hills 90210, wasn't yes, she? Yes, and she was the child of a very, very rich person. Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling production, and, yeah. You're a big mm-hmm. fan of... Uh, Aaron, I mean, I imagine when you think of Aaron Spelling, you always think of uh, probably BJ and the Bear. That's oh, always yeah. my go-to Aaron Spelling. Actually, do you know what? I'm not even sure. Trent, check whether BJ and the Bear was an Aaron Spelling production. <laughs> and, if and, it wasn't, it was, right? Um, and then her mother... They had that massive house and her mother famously had a room just for gift wrapping because it was such a hobby of hers. And then they had a fractious relationship. So I'd imagine a lot of the books are about having a fractious relationship with someone who has a gift wrapping room. I mean, would that give you material for multiple books? Well, that's because sometimes I know people that familiarity, it's a bit like the old thing with, with you know, in, the, in the, the, the old club circuit where sometimes the audience would get angry and shout out, you know, famously, tell us one we know. Mm-hmm. That people white liked the idea <laughs> of the familiarity. So the comic went on there. Oh, Brennan is doing the one about the Alsatian and the parrot and the burglar. Um, and in the same way, I, th- I think for some people, reading is uh, the comfort of going, "Oh, great! I know this novelist, and I know exactly how they write this book, and I'm not at any point going to uh, be shocked or surprised." Um, 
So I think, you know, um, my mum, I mean, I've never read any of his works, so I don't know, but, but she, Wilbur Smith was her thing. She loved yeah. reading Wilbur Smith, who I think has only very recently, I was going to say died. In fact, I don't think he has died. I think he's got another, he's, he's now doing that thing where he's writing books uh, with someone else as well, like uh, I think Dick Francis was another one. Right. Who Dick Francis eventually wrote books with his son, where he presumed actually it was probably mainly his son doing it, but Dick mm. Francis might have just been coming at the plotting and stuff. But he was... Uh, Handed it down the family, that's yeah. nice. And I can't, and Dick, Dick Francis was, in fact, another thing. My mum loved reading his books. They were, I grew up in a house with both Wilbur Smith and Dick Francis, but never read either of them. See, Whip Hand always interests me because he was a jockey who'd lost his hand and had it replaced with a kind of robotic hand, but it wasn't a good one. It wasn't like, you know, if it had been an American novel, he would now be a jockey with a super-powered hand. But in an English novel, he's a jockey with not very... Oh, it's, it's kind of funk. Oh, I've dropped it. Just, oh, bloody hell. Just barbecue hell. tongs, isn't it? Yeah, that's... Uh, so that, so those things, I can understand why someone, whether it's Tori Spelling, whether it's... You know, that you just go, oh, I, I, I love these books and I love... And, you know, there might be little twists and turns, but you know what you're going to get yeah you know that well also with a celebrity biography or autobiography you kind of know what happened to them and if they were alive to write it themselves you're like okay well this is going to end with them still alive so maybe that's comforting i recently read a memoir by a friend which was intriguing because um who was that uh gene edelstein the book is called um this really isn't about you and it's about a few years of her life where she was diagnosed with lynch syndrome which means she has an aggressive cancer gene but she was also dating and her father had just died. And I remember meeting up with her at the time and she was saying, I'm going on all these Tinder dates, but what do you talk about when you're like, oh, I'm grieving, but also I've just been uh, had a number of unpleasant scans to check if I have uh, cancers. And um, it did seem quite heavy, but it's, it's a really good book. But I know what has happened since she finished writing it in her life, uh, which kind of changes a bit the right. text of it. In a nice way, like mm-hmm. I, I know that her life is uh, going going places that she wants, but the book is a bit more sad. That's really that's it. That um, yeah, that balance between the, the, the bit where you go, life goes on, but at the same time, something is is a very in- interesting. You know, now we see a lot more of it, both in stand up and I think also in. Uh, um, you know, it, it, books which are a lot of celebrity autobiographies used to be the mask that the people wore when they were on stage. Yeah. So whether they were ghostwritten or not, and then you start mm-hmm. like Max Wall wrote a very interesting book, The Fool on the Hill, which I think is quite probably quite an honest book about his problems and his ultimate love of just as long as he could always perform comedy, but also the fact that he screwed up a lot of the time. Charlie Drake's one is a bit weird, but there's, uh, you know, it's a kind of, it's, it's an, it's, I find it an interesting thing where more and more we, that there are the ability for, for human beings to go, oh, someone else has given me their story and now that has given me permission to express myself in a certain way. Yeah, that's quite exciting. I, I used to review books and I got sent some celeb biographies, which was it, maybe um, Kathleen Turner. Um, and Cindy Lauper as well. I remember both of them both being quite score-settling. So they were like, this person wronged me, and I'm going to write a chapter about how much I hate them and how stupid they are. And I love both those people. So that's yeah. uh, Kathleen Turner, <laughs> at Serial Mom, which was probably one of her last... Uh, is that big, your favourite Kathleen Turner fashion? Do you know what? That one probably is, actually. Okay. I absolutely, I'm a not huge fan heat, of... Uh, not Body Heat, not Romance in the Stone. Not Body Heat, not... Uh, not even certainly Jessica not Ken, Ken Russell's Crimes of Passion, not that one. That's that's an uh, interesting one, but it's... Man with Two Brains? Man, oh, yeah, OK, Man with Two Brains, yeah. Yep. Uh, but no, no, actually, I really love Serial Mom. It's, yeah, I'm, it is, I'm, it's, it's I'm a huge really fan good. of John Waters, really so uh, um, 
but yeah, she, she is. Uh, I, I like the fact she goes right. Let me just tell you how this whole system works. Yeah, exactly. And it was better for people to think I was an alcoholic than to think I had rheumatoid arthritis, which is a very painful, horrible condition. And then I became an alcoholic to deal with rheumatoid arthritis. So oh, it's wow. kind of the opposite then of the Roger Moore autobiographies, which tell you nothing. Really, brilliantly tell you nothing. Like when he gets when he first gets uh, to play Bond, it's all about the catering. <laughs> no, he's, he's really, he is just being with someone who's just, uh, uh, as, as you know, Michael, of mm. course, I actually met him once on the Richard and Judy show and he told Woo! me a joke whose punchline was, uh, uh, what's that up my ass, Batman? That was actually his <laughs> truth. I was just about to go on and uh, and he told me a joke and he and the punchline is, what's that up my ass, Batman? And uh, it was wonderful. But he's, because I read his book about the making of Live and Let Die when I was a kid and that one is uh, when he talks about doing the speedboat chase where it was much faster than he'd been told. Yeah. And he does actually say, and then I shat myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he genuinely means, oh, not metaphorically, I well, shit myself. Um, yesterday I read um, Michael Palin's diaries, you know, the Python years one. Yep. And see, I was reading it, and I'm almost at the end of the book going, I know all of this. This has told right. me nothing. And then right at the end of the book, did you know he was on Saturday Night Live and a cat shat on him? Brilliant. <laughs> on live TV. He was trying to put a cat down his trousers and it showered down his arm. I think that's a reasonable exchange if the cat is oh, non-consensually absolutely. having a trouser shove. Absolutely. And then uh, and then he had a... Uh, he, he met the cast of Star Wars at a party and he said, uh, Harrison Ford was very chirpy and dressed like a delivery boy. <laughs> I don't think that was Harrison Ford he met. <laughs> he said, I'll just put the pizzas over there. And then he left. Funny old Harrison Very Ford. Always back. delivering me pizzas. The, uh, do you have a favourite? Because I was th- this morning I was reading uh, one of uh, the collections of Derek Jarman stories, which I, I, I was going to say I loved, but I still really find fascinating reading them. Uh, Modern Nature and uh, Last of England and uh, um, I forget the, 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 the final one. But there are certain diarists where I think Derek Jarman and Kenneth Williams are two that I will often go back to it's like oh it's one in the morning i want to read something i know i'll read do you have anyone that you uh uh enjoy reading their diaries oh published preferably I mean... not ones where you burgled a house <laughs> uh, that's really interesting i'm trying to think the last time i read a diary um michael do you want to fill in while i well i mean back to star wars carrie fisher's diaries are great uh and well in fact all of her books generally are pretty good and they are basically diaries i mean because it's just it's clearly she she writes in such a blog style that it's clearly whatever happened the previous day, she wrote it all down in one go, and that is like a chapter in any of her books. So those are brilliant because they're just all sort of... Well, she she dabbles in self-loathing, but my God, she's she's really in the market for hating everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really funny. So you don't have to pick a diary, by the way, no, if you don't have it. any that you read. Uh, no, but I do like um, memoirs and things, I suppose because the diary has been polished up for public consumption and censored somewhat so diaries and memoirs overlap in my mind um but did you ever keep a diary i never could because i couldn't work out how to do it in such a way like who's who's the audience Mm. future me i thought well future me is going to hate this version of me public then it's disingenuous as a diary but then who else that's it's interesting because I think that's why blog posts. You know, Michael blogs quite a lot. I used to blog a lot more than you know. For for a couple of years, I blogged every single day just to try and find just as a writing exercise. And then I thought, you know, what I should do as a writing exercise: finish writing this book by the deadline. And that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think those you 
at least when you're right a blog a blog means that you know you're writing for an audience whether that audience is is two people or, mm. or 100,000 or whatever you're right the diary when i read some people's diaries i think like kenneth williams diaries i think how much is kenneth williams thinking now they'll see the real kenneth williams when when i'm mm. dead uh, or Orton diaries. You know what was Joe? What was Joe Orton thinking? Because when those diaries, was he actually thinking that they would? Uh, I, I can't imagine he he no, would I... have imagined that they were going to. You know that that whole story that becomes so tragic and brutal. Yeah, but Anne Frank did edit her diaries, so apparently she had some inkling of them being published at some point. Even though that must have also been just a kind of dream of publication. That's an incredible thing, isn't it, to be that young and yeah, but also a very good writer at yeah. twelve to fourteen. What's the um? So, what do you have a favourite memoir then? When you were reviewing a lot, I mean, there must have been some that would arrive, and you go, "Oh God, I've got to," you know. And then you can sometimes have a revelation where you you think, "I really didn't think I'd enjoy." It. I mean, I, yeah. genuinely, I I bought Les Dennis's uh, autobiography. Must the show go on? And I think it was because uh, I think Mark Gatiss had, had mentioned it, or Mark Lawson, and uh, and it was really interesting. It's a really interesting book about him realising that when he was a young man, there were things he did which he shouldn't have done because he was in show business. So, like, thinking not hanging around for the wake, I think, of his uh, after his dad's funeral because he had a gig to go to. Mm. And the fact that after his double-act partner, Dustin G, died, within two days he was rehearsing with Jim Bowen, who was taking over in the pantomime. And he thought, hang on a minute, you know, looking back now, he goes, well, I should have... That was someone that I worked my whole life with. He was the person that I'd become famous with. And then I'm just going, oh, no, no, but the, the show's got to go on. So now Jim Bowen's my partner for playing the broker's men or whatever. And it has yeah. some very... You didn't, you didn't. You weren't supposed to dwell on the emotions, were you, mm. until this century? Do I have favourites? I do love a, a, a showbiz memoir, but when I was reviewing, um, I think I got the cusp of when things were ghost-written and very boring. So I remember having to review Freddie Flintoff's memoir, and um, it was very bland and clearly not written by him. And um, But also around the same time, Pearl Lowe's memoir, the wife of Danny Goffey and from mid-90s bands. And Powder, wasn't it? Was Powder, Powder her yes. band? Yeah. Yes. And um, I think she had recently become sober and the memoir was part of the process she was going through. And there was just right. so much self-loathing in it and... Um, it felt like a sort of big apology to her children without explicitly being that and just the amount of kind of um uh sort of self-mortification was striking even though I wasn't that familiar with her work it it just it felt so intimate because of the process of writing it in her life and um in terms of novels who do you I mean do you, do you find that with the illusionist now because it's a very regular podcast and you're going mm. in lots of different I mean you know the, the there's uh, of course, there's there's the theme of, of 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 words and names, but within that, of course, well, we are. This is the thing that distinguishes us as a as a creature is language. So immediately, you're dealing, you can deal with almost everything that distinguishes yeah, us as human beings. I want. So does that mean that every, you know when you're reading, in always is there a homunculus that's also watching and going, oh, hang on, I should be reading this because this may well lead to another episode. Or yeah, it just means I don't get to read all that much because. Um... Uh, I'm like, well, I should be reading for work. I should be reading for work. But then I get to read entertaining books for work. But um, I should have brought in my spreadsheet of all the books I've read in the last seven years when I uh, started keeping the spreadsheet. Um, and then I could tell you more things. So recently I was ill. And interestingly, just before I got ill, I interviewed a guy about literature of convalescence, which was a kind of movement 
in the 1920s and 30s for Britain being a nation in recovery from the trauma of the First World War. So there's a real trend for things like Agatha Christie that are kind of cosy. Even though people are murdered, you don't see blood. And there's a solution. And so it all feels quite contained and like something you can cope with. And um, also people in frocks in fancy houses and all of that stuff. And also for books that were pastoral and set in the country. And um, so I noticed whilst I was convalescing that um, my own reading started quite gentle. I reread Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons and watched the BBC adaptation on the same day. Is that um, Kate Beckinsale? Beckinsale, Stephen Fry's in it. Ian McKellen has a tiny part because at the time they were just like, yeah, I mean... Well, yeah, just stick him in there, but let's, let's not make a big deal of it. Um, and then I knew that I was getting better eventually because my reading was getting more unpleasant. So I read, uh, after a couple of weeks, The Underground Railroad, which is pretty miserable stuff because slavery is horrible. Uh, I don't know if anyone has mentioned that. It's a bad scene. Um, and But then a friend sent me... Uh, oh, I read a very interesting memoir by the poet Patricia Lockwood during that time. It's kind of comical, even though um, sad things happen. She was uh, raised by a kind of eccentric priest is her father who's always in his underpants uh, but I recommend it it's a, it's a very beautifully written but funny book um, but then I read uh, someone sent me the Mary Roach book um, that is about corpses and corpses being oh, used stiff. Yeah, yeah. stiff and um, I had just spent three weeks in hospital having things stuck into my body like needles and um, and I thought I'm not ready to read all this stuff about humans being uh, dissected it feels a bit too recent uh, so that was the. That's uh, I still haven't returned to. Stick. It's a very. I've not read her other books, but that's a very. Uh, in, it's got things like uh, about the corpse farms, where you know mm. corpses are basically laid out to find out how they rot mm-hmm. and stuff, uh, uh, so that we're able to investigate when something's. And then the bit where, which I'd never known, which is the use of of real human corpses as crash test dummies. Oh really? Because there, there's there's a limitation, obviously, of how much you can find out from a crash test dummy. So eventually, there are people who, uh, you know, their bodies are used to find out. Mm. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you're right. If you've just been, if you've had a very <laughs> visceral experience with your yeah. your your own self, then uh, I can see how you might not want to read about that. Yes, because the opening is about. Um, people practising cosmetic surgery procedures on heads that have been removed from bodies because people are practising other surgical procedures on the rest of the bodies. So reading about faces being peeled off and stitched back on, I just thought I've got to pick this up later. (laughs) Um, But it seemed very good. Um, So, we've run out of time. Michael, (laughs) what are you reading at the moment? I am reading This Story of the Stooges by Iggy Pop. You it is literally nice Iggy Pop. Oh yes, it does sound very good. You told me what was the <laughs> yeah. story you told me the other day? Oh, of the, it was the... great. Iggy um, is very much a control freak in uh, every way, and when he toured as a solo act uh, sometime in the noughties, uh, he w- was doing like county fair gigs, and so he was on. He was, support, he was a support act to a band called Sponge, and he loathed it. Every night, he loathed that the audience was massive, but they came to see Sponge and not Iggy Pop. Is this like when you were supporting Ricky Gervais? <laughs> exactly, exactly. The anger in Robin is very much within I've got a Iggy pretty Pop. good... My, my, my support slots are Ricky Gervais, The Stranglers, and Chaz and Dave. Wow. Welcome to my world. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. But one night, Iggy looked into the audience and he saw an 11-year-old boy looking at him and giving him a look as if to say, you're not Sponge. And Iggy just went, I'm going to show you, kid. 
I'm going to stage dive on you. And he leapt directly at the kid. And the child took one step to the left and Iggy hit the ground face first. He is one of, still one of the most beautiful and fascinating figures to look at, though. There's, Amazing. There was a great exhibition at the uh, Royal Academy of uh, just kind of life drawings, and a bunch of them were life drawings of just Iggy Pop just sat for someone, and just the, the, the sinews and the flesh is absolutely fantastic. I have that book. In my bag. Have you got it? Yeah. Oh, brilliant. We'll talk about that next time. We definitely. Brilliant. Um, if you want to know more about that story uh, that Marcus has been telling, then you can listen to Vitriola, which is the music podcast to do with him. Uh, you do already want yeah, to know more of... It's the music podcast to do with me. Yeah, yeah. with you. <laughs> and uh, the uh, Michael sits there and dresses up as me. It's very much kind of psycho thing, Well, do you know what it? it is? Yeah, because we sit... And Vitria, we sit face to face yeah. until we're not angry at one another anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very much Scientology <laughs> and, and, and in like, action. It's it, like all of the third reels of a Rock Hudson and Doris Day movie, we stop before the kiss because otherwise <laughs> the audience are going to stop listening as long as that tension remains. Do, do, uh, do you follow the Hayes legislature for Vitriola? Oh, how many feet do you think I've got on the ground at the moment <laughs> to make sure that this is not uh, lewd or erotic? Thank you very much for listening. Josie Long will be uh, back soon. Uh, but uh, for the time being, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Robin. What a lovely time, didn't we? Yes, yeah, very nice. Get out. Yep. Get out. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Remember, Brain Yapping debuts next Monday, January 28th. Go to cosmicshambles.com slash brainyapping for all the links to subscribe to that on Spotify and iTunes and Apple Podcasts and wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts, you can subscribe from there. We'll be back next Thursday with another new episode of Book Shambles. Uh, I would tell you who the guest is, but uh, I haven't got the sheet in front of me, so I can't. Have a great week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.